1: In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I briefly go over the Sixers 118 to 106 win over the Golden State Warriors, their fourth straight win on this seven-game homestand, before diving into the listener mailbag. Going over everything from whether or not we believe in James Harden's ability to create in the half-court in the playoffs, how playable Matisse Thibel will be in the postseason, whether we would prioritize another wing or a big man at the trade deadline, and what the Sixers need to do to reach their potential and make a championship run. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Uh, we've got another win to talk about. Only one game since we last podcasted. A 118-106 to 106 win over some semblance of the Golden State Warriors. It is the Sixers' fourth straight win in a row, all on this season-long seven-game homestand. And they are now 16-12 and 12 on the season. How you doing, Rich?
2: Derek, I'm doing
1: fine. Uh, that was a pretty boring game, I gotta say. It was a very boring game. Uh, the Warriors came out and shot the shit out of the ball especially Dante, playing like he was still at Villanova. What was he, 5-for-5 from three uh, in the first quarter? Or It might have been only 4-for-4, or maybe he even missed a shot at the tail end. He made his first four threes, uh, I know that. The Warriors shot 9-for-12 from three in that first quarter. It was a pretty frustrating start, but as the game wore on, the Sixers were the better team. The Warriors, especially that version of them, without Steph and Draymond, were overmatched and the Sixers continued to pray for the free throw line and the Warriors started to miss shots. Yada, yada, yada. A solid 12-point win, which I think most of us were expecting, even when they were getting pummeled there in the first quarter, I think most of us expected that game to eventually turn. It was just how frustrated were we going to be until that happened? And quite frankly, by the time halftime rolled around, I think everyone felt sort of confident.
2: Yeah, I mean, they even got down six in the third quarter. I still was like, yeah, they're just going to wake up and, and win the game. Yeah, some good memories of uh, of Ragu making threes though in the in the, <laughs> in the Farg. Yeah, that Villanova team was pretty awesome as we have talked about before. The fact that they could play legitimate five out as a college team is just not something a lot of teams could do. And the fact that four—I mean, did, I guess all five of them were first-round picks. Brunson wasn't a first-round pick, but he's—that doesn't mean he's a bad basketball player. He clearly, no. is one of the best ones. Uh yeah, no, that was uh good to see. I thought the Sixers defense was kinda lazy against those split yeah. cuts and those things in the first quarter. It got better by the end of it and uh yeah, they won. But like overall was it a super impressive performance? No. Uh, nope, not super also, impressive,
1: not super interesting. Just Yeah, that's
2: end. that's the point. It's not bad either though. I, I yeah. don't uh I don't take a lot from that one. It's except, you know, the Sixers finally got a schedule win they finally got some injury luck in terms of that and it's funny i say that even while they were missing two starters they're missing maxi and harris like two your second or your third and fourth best players probably definitely sorry but in fairness to you know with all due respect to those guys one of the best five players in the league and an all-timer on defense is yeah uh, it's a little bit different so
1: look they got some luck and they they won so good for that I mentioned the Sixers beat these shorthanded Warriors and a lot of mentions, a lot of replies. Sixers were shorthanded too. Like you pointed out, Steph might be the most important offensive player in the game and Draymond might be the most important defensive player in the game, especially for what what that team is looking to do and how much they rely on those people. Um, Not quite the same, missing Maxie and and Harris. Uh, They should have been able to beat that team. They did end up beating that team pretty easily there in the second half. There's not a whole lot to talk about. You could certainly nitpick their deep, not nitpick. I mean, their defense was pretty bad there. You know, I saw a lot of people say, "Oh, they made some tough shots." And look, Dante made some. You, know, you make five threes in a quarter, you're going to make one or two tough ones. He made some easy ones too. And there's a lot <laughs> of, I don't even want to say missed assignments on the pick and roll. Just a whole lot of meandering on the pick and roll. roll quite frankly, I did like in the uh, after the game. You know, beat was pretty much asked, and a bunch of people were asked, like, "Hey, did you change anything up in their pick and roll defense?" They're like no, we just kind of like executed better and they just had a better energy level. They certainly did change the depth that Joel Embiid was at on a lot of the pick and rolls. Uh, he got beat first on the perimeter uh, in a lot of those. And then on some backdoor cuts, Looney is a pretty underrated player and passer. And he certainly He's made super
2: underrated player. He's good.
1: You don't have to be overly flashy as a passer, especially as a rolling big, you just have to make quick, timely, correct decisions. He does that very well. Uh, and he plays well against the Sixers, but eventually, talent was going to rise to the top
2: yeah that's probably the only other thing that i thought was was interesting from it
1: and as i'm
2: saying this it's not that interesting but j-
1: j- they did for <laughs> i do that all the time I'm like oh i have an interesting thought and i start talking it's like no there's no way that's look, interesting
2: look we're scraping from the bottle the bottom of the <laughs> barrel here buddy okay i did think like the warriors despite being short did mess with Joel and, like like you said, his pick and roll coverage a little bit because, you know, they made a bunch of those threes. And, you know, I thought Melton did a pretty bad job chasing around yeah. some of those screens, which was weird. He did better as the game went on. Now, that said, uh, Jordan Poole is like super quick yeah. and super good. Uh, I know he's a streaky shooter. I know he's like the worst defender in the world. But he's, I would add that dude to the Kemba walk all. I can't even talk today. The Kemba <laughs> walker. All stars of guys who are more fun to watch in person, uh, than than on TV just because they're so shifty and,
1: and a little bit like Kemba too, where he can just stop on a dime and change his direction and momentum and, and yeah, he's, he's he's good.
2: He also had a funny moment, Poole, where he he threw his head back protesting a hardened, you know, kind of cell job that, that he got whistled for, which was funny because Poole continued to do that for himself on the other end of the court the entire game. So maybe that's a little game respect game grift on that one. Nice grift, yep. The uh, yeah, no, they they did mess with Embiid though because and Clay was terrible, but again, you have to respect Clay Thompson coming off the screen. I don't care if he's forty five years old, and uh,
1: it's starting you know, to look like
2: it's starting to look like it a little bit. I know, uh, but yeah, they they screwed with him because they made some of those threes, and then Embiid got up and they threw the ball to Looney on the pocket passes, and he, you know, he made some good plays four on three. When you play with Steph Curry, you have that experience. So I don't yeah. think that goes away once Jordan Poole puts you in that situation as well. The other thing about Looney, it does go to show, like, Joel, you don't need to be able to jump to play Joel pretty well. And by the way, Joel had, what, 32 points? And yeah. He did have a bunch of turnovers. It wasn't his best game, but whatever. Like, Because people go crazy about when you say somebody played well against Joel, uh, like, my no, favorite thing g- is when
1: he tried that transition in-out dribble and then after the play he like raises his hand like my bad like Joe we saw. We all we all we all know who's bad that was. There was only one explanation there. Playing the
2: Kings is bad for your your confidence. You just you start to think you can do everything possible <laughs> once you play the Kings, you know. You got the whole NBA Street and 1 mixtape tour catalog available to you in the open court and uh yeah, he loves doing that, which is funny. Uh yeah. So but like Looney, you, you don't need to be a big leaper. You don't need to be a rim protector in the traditional sense to guard Embiid pretty well. To do to make him work, all you gotta be is two things: pretty strong and smart. And you know he's not as big as the Marc Gasols of the world, but he he gets the job done. He's he's both very intelligent and he holds his ground pretty well. So. That is a uh, that is a random tough matchup for Joel. Tough again, quote unquote. Don't get mad at me.
1: 34 on 11 for 23 shooting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Tough. That's that's tough for him. Yeah.
1: All right. But what's not tough is we will dive into that listener <laughs> mailbag. <laughs> you just set me up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't even playing. You just set me up. Uh, anyway, we'll go into the listener mailbag because talking about that game for a long time will be tough because that was not an entertaining game. It's not a very meaningful game. So we will move on from that one pretty quickly. Right after we talk about... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this one from Sean W. Would it help the team to ease Maxi in by starting him off the bench with Melton in the starting lineup? He knows that they have been much better defensively lately. Also noting that Embiid being in better shape helps, but Melton helps hide Harden more by having another great defender on the floor. And I had a couple people talk about bringing, bringing Maxi off the bench, so this is just sort of like the one of the three or four questions I got on this topic.
2: Yeah. The the other people are going to be jealous that you chose Sean's question.
1: I had tens of people hear your question.
2: Yeah. Half our audience submitting a maxi off the bench question. Okay. What do I think of that? Uh, First off, maxi at these games, I, I don't think I even told, told you this last night, but he, he cracks me up. Like he's like a little kid at his big brother's game. Now he's just like shooting during timeouts and stuff. Like he's, you know, he's taking these weird layups. You know, when you go to like a, a little kid's game, there's always like a younger brother who's always yeah. shooting during timeouts. That's what Tyrese Maxey is, except he's, he's deaf. twenty twenty two years old and you know, like <laughs> he's gonna make a lot of money at some okay. point in his in his lifetime. But he's just yeah, he's just like loving life. Like I'm just gonna shoot Hey, Zach Zarba, can I have the ball so I can take some uh take some weird layups while my uh while my older brothers uh go in the huddle and listen to uh Listen to Doc. I don't know. I, I got a big kick out of that. That guy is just, he just loves life, man. Uh, and I think partially for that reason, I don't think this is the worst idea in the world. Uh, you know, I think ultimately, like Tyrese Maxey is going to have to start for this team. Like right. he's going to, he's your third best player. He's hes going to have to start. Uh, he's kind of your only young, good player. So your young star level player. Sorry. Uh, so So that's going to have to happen. That said... Because he's just this happy-go-lucky guy, and I think the ego is very, very low on him. And
1: to be clear, he's your only star-level young player because you cut Isaiah Joe, just to to be clear so the Isaiah Joe fans don't feel left out. Charles Bassey, too. That's not uh, true. All
2: right, we got our Isaiah Joe. I have
1: no idea where you're going, because I completely cut you off like a jackass to make a D-minus D-Isaiah Joe joke, so I apologize about that.
2: Yeah, but the- It's that
1: kind of podcast.
2: But the, you know, what's tough joke was that that was that was up there for you. I'm gonna give you an A minus on that one. That was good. Uh, no, I just don't think Maxie is an ego. So if you wanted to try that to just ease him back, I think that's fine. You know, and especially if, you know, if this broken foot like that doc injury update was uh, that was something, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was probably more like uh, Doc says that. And I think a lot of people are like, well, what's a setback? Um, you know, and Doc basically said that he's. TLDR. It seems like he's a couple weeks away. It was just th- the tone, though, man. Yeah, and I think part of the problem that that was medical little- update. Ugh, gross. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on. I think I-, I think a lot of the people. I think part of the problem was that he was a little overly optimistic there, yeah. uh, at setting the initial timeline. And maybe some of the leaks were a little overly optimistic. Um, but it's seeming like you know, Christmas. Maybe in that week between Christmas and New Year, it might be a little bit pushed back into there. It doesn't sound like there's any kind of a setback, but. Um, yeah, maybe not quite as quickly as some people were hoping for him to return. By the way, I don't think it's like a negative
2: huge deal. If it's if the thing's going to be okay and it takes until the new year, who cares? Yeah. They're going to be fine.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, the the only problem is that this fan base doesn't trust a medical team that's been completely revamped and isn't the medical team that let you down so many times ago. But I think there's just a, an inherent, oh no, here we go again. Anytime there is a medical update that doesn't go exactly as planned, which is why probably why the Sixers never actually give you a a timeline. They just say he will be reevaluating two weeks. Anyway.
2: You did see some of the old memes pop up of the, of the fake doctors. The, the one, the one gentleman with his, uh, with his hand on his, uh, (laughs) his hand on his chin, uh, being the fake doctor. Also Dr. Leo spaceman from, uh, from Thirty okay. Rock, if uh, that's a deep cut for a lot of people, yeah. So look, if but if he's um if he's going to get slowly reworked into the lineup, then maybe that's a way to limit his minutes, right? And, yeah, you know, because you see this around the NBA. Sometimes guys don't start games when they're coming back from rehab. I think Steph did this recently, where they you know they don't play him until like the second quarter, and then they play him as normal minutes. You know, right. they they do that. So I I kind of think it's more of that. It's like a more of we can experiment and see what some of these other lineups look like. But I, I I think in, you know, like in James Harden's case, no, you have to start him. He's too James Harden-y for a, sure. for lack of a better word. Sure. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, I don't think has that. I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares about anything, honestly, just, yeah. just likes playing basketball.
1: Now there are a bunch of people who are asking like, should this be an actual change, like a long-term change in the starting lineup? And I guess my response to that, because, you know, clearly I don't think the Harden-Maxey, uh, Backcourt combo is perfect defensively, and by perfect, I'm, I'm being a little generous. But I think if you go back to the first five or so games when the Sixers' main four players were playing, I think there were like maybe like five non-garbage time possessions where neither Maxi nor Harden were on the floor. So it's almost quite literally impossible because I think a lot of people suggesting this are like, well, send Maxi to the bench so you limit the amount of time that Max and Harden are on the court together. It's almost impossible to stagger them any more than they previously were. So if you're going to play them together less often than they were to start the season, it really means you're cutting into Maxie's playing time. And I don't really think anybody wants to do that too much. Uh, so no, I don't necessarily think you can fix this Maxi and bead quote-unquote problem. And I do agree that there is some concern in that pairing. I don't think you can really fix it by sending Maxie to the bench because you had them stagger as much as humanly possible before they got injured. Um, so I think it's just something you kind of have to learn to live with.
2: Yeah, we we like to mix and match, like you know, like this guy works with this guy, and this guy works, you know, if we can limit his minutes here. But it's like you said, I mean, these these guys both got to play thirty four, thirty five minutes a game, yeah, and yeah, in Harden's yeah, case, a million out. more minutes than that probably because yep. Doc plays them all, all those minutes. But whatever, you know, th- regardless, they're gonna have to play a ton of time together. They're they are your starting backcourt, and hopefully, they they find a rhythm together. I ultimately, I think the Sixers probably won't do that. Uh, and and they'll just bring yeah, Maxi. Back in the starting lineup, and you know, hopefully, it's the op- probably right. Yeah, I mean, just start scoring a bunch of points. You know, that's the yeah. uh, that's the general feel on that. I, you know, I am the most interesting thing to me is uh, is what they do with Shake because that dude's got to play, and obviously, Melton's got to play a ton too. So, you you basically have th- you have two starting guards who, like I said, you know, 34 minutes a game. Melton should be a, you know, like a 25-minute a game guy. Like, he's your best sub, for sure. But then you have another guy who's a freaking guard who's one of your seven, eight best players, too. Yep. So it's
1: weird. The Sixers have a lot of guards, man. Yeah. It's a little different than it's it's been in the past. <sighs> no, I mean, look. After, too many guards. After a year where everyone was 6'10 and couldn't dribble, like, this is a shock to the system. It's a shock to the system. Wouldn't mind a little more height on the perimeter, which is tied to one of the questions we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, but it's not perfect. <laughs> they definitely have players who can dribble and shoot, which is weird, which is weird. All right, this one with Francis Parker. Last regular season, Theibel was a plus 18.7 when he played with Harden. This year, he's a plus 10.6. But last year, they were a negative 14 with the two of them on the court. Do you think they can get anything useful out of Theibel this year in the playoffs and in high leverage games? I mean, anything? Yes, I think he'll be in the rotation. Do I think that the, and I don't, like some of these, I don't know how many minutes Theibel has played alongside of Harden so far this year. I probably should have that up. I don't. Certainly wouldn't have been a huge sample size in the playoffs. Not enough to necessarily make meaningful decisions off of. And I, I think if you go back and listen to what we said last year, like, yeah, Fibel is getting some points off of cuts because Harden's a good passer and he's moving more, but I don't think that's going to work in the playoffs. And I don't think it did work in the playoffs. I Do I have concern over thought? Yeah. the Concerns are the same. He's the same player. And I know he had, what do you have? 15 or 17 against the Kings. That, that's the I, Kings, man. I know like he's said, played- <laughs>
2: that's against, against the Kings 15 yep. against the Kings.
1: <laughs> I know he's, he's, Been playing a little better here of late. He should be in the rotation. Like, I think when I was talking about it before the season, I was thinking, you know, 15 to 20 minutes per game. Like, I didn't think he would be a DNPCD like he was to start the year. Do I have concerns that opposing defense are going to tee off of that in the playoffs? Yeah, of course. Especially when you have another similar type player. Not the same, because he can't actually make shots when he takes them. But a similar type player in P.J. Tucker, there's only so many of those you can put on the floor. We saw that with Matisse and Ben, as great as they were, defensively as great as they were at forcing turnovers and getting out on the break. There's a limit to how many of those types of non-offensive players, non-shooters you can put on the floor in the playoffs. Every one you put out there, the opponent is going to have a chance to use that to their advantage. And Matisse is bad offensively. It's bad.
2: I got it here. It's uh 207 possessions on cleaning the glass. And the reason though, which I don't know is sustainable is that their defense has been awesome in those possessions, 99th percentile defense, which I don't know when you, when you have James Harden on the court. I, I Yeah.
1: Any 99th percentile seems optimistic. Uh,
2: 99th percentile offense. Sometimes I can get down with, I yeah, think yeah. he's, you know, put him and Joe Allen be together. But uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he's the same player, I You know, and it's, I'm not gonna, am not gonna do too much hand wringing over it. Like it's, it's, he is what he is. And I, I also think too the, the comparison you made, like, when he played with Simmons, at least, like, especially in the regular season, those two guys, the fact that he played with another guy who was just flying yeah. all over the place, that was a little more sustainable in the regular season. P.J., good defender, not flying all over the place. No, no, he's not. No, he's, not. he's not. There's, like, a, a chaos quotient that Matisse and Ben could get above. And there would be, like, look, there would be, like, two or three games a year where it would be, like, holy shit. Like, these the other guys
1: it, can't throw a pass in half court.
2: Yeah, like it looks like they're playing like five on eight on defense, despite the fact that, you know, it's just Matisse and, and Ben's Despite the fact that
1: they're playing three on five on offense. Got
2: him. Uh yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> well, also too, Ben, let's be real, like a little more dynamic than PJ on offense, a little too. more. Although, a little more. although what, three made field goals last night? Oh, yeah. baby. <laughs> that was the funny part about the, the weird start of that game is that you know Dante DiVincenzo was hitting all those threes, and the Sixers were giving up all those points. PJ Tucker was getting in the scoring yeah. column on the other end.
1: No, he was. Look, he had seven <laughs> by halftime. I think. Yeah, he had seven by halftime. He was. I I looked it up. He was on pace to get his second double digit effort of his Sixers career. Uh, but then he fell short.
2: It. Look, I'm I'm just saying because he is the definition of the Sixers are counting on him to be a 16 game player as opposed to an 82 game yeah. player. So. Yep. We are we are going to judge him on that. Uh, look, is it going to be hilarious if he actually plays well in the playoffs, and we're still making the jokes about how he can't score? Like he's like making We're running a plays marathon, and, and we're just like, yeah, those five points though. But what what a what a sixteen game player he is! I mean, look, uh, fun being honest, a sixteen he's, point per playoff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Series player.
1: If he scores seven maybe. per game, I think we're talking about him way less it's the no points over like five games which is just eh, it's a little too much buddy it's a little too much i actually just looked up the um and melton lineups they have a they force turnovers on over a quarter of the opponent's possession 25.3 percent but they somehow give up 117.6 per 100 like, the other team is shooting the snot out of the ball, and they have a negative 14.1 net rating. All small sample size. A lot so, of that is going to be noisy based on shooting variance. The the opponent turnover like, rate being above 25%, though, is what you would expect, at least. I like that. I, Kirk Cousins, I like that. I uh,
2: I think they should lean into that a little more. Like, I mean, if you can get Matisse and Melton on the court at the same time, like, you know, like Harden. Melton. I at least
1: like it better than Matisse and Tucker because you have the chance of causing that chaos that you had with Matisse and Ben. Oh, I mean, I mean, come on. Well, yeah, he's more of a chaos agent and he's also a much better offensive player. Yeah. Yep. Flawed, but better, you know, willing. How many of those lineups, so 167 of those possessions with those two, how many had Tucker in there as well? I
2: like it when it makes sense, when it's like, okay, you have these two guys that get 26. all these steals, and you see the lineup data, and you're like, oh yeah, they're causing a shit ton of turnovers. Which one quarter of possessions would, would count as. Although... That a shit ton, yep. Although some of these games, the Sixers have played in the past week, like it's just like, the other team's just throwing the ball to them, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. There was a couple possessions there in the second quarter. Um... The the one right after uh, Joe had that transition turnover. It's just like there's some crazy ass passes being thrown. This is um, like yakety sacks going back. Yeah, and forth. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, all right, this one from Senior Talone. Can we slow the roll on the Harden is back train? When was the last time he beat anyone off the dribble? And have you, and, have you, and have you seen that train, Mister like a- Mister Talone? Sent probably three or four questions. Very upset at James Harden. He is not a James Harden fan. But look, I'm not going to, I don't necessarily think there has been a James Harden's back train. I think maybe there was a little bit for the first couple games of the season, just because we wanted to see what he looked like after, uh, after a summer of rehabbing. And he looked, I think reasonably okay in yep. those first couple games individually, but I don't think anyone's necessarily watching him play and going, Oh man, look at how good he looks athletically. Like, I don't, I don't think there is that train right now. So I'm not sure If he's living on a different part of Sixers Twitter, which to be honest, it could be because he spent too much time on Twitter. I I think I've been trying to limit that a little bit of late, but yeah, I think everyone's pretty solid Derek on Mastodon. Yeah. yeah. And post.news looks like it's nowhere near ready, but anyway, regardless. No, I don't necessarily think there is a strong train right now. Like I think some people will be encouraged. He's certainly been making some perimeter shots lately. I think a lot of people are encouraged by the passing, but when you watch that first half and the defensive breakdowns that he had and the fact that you're right, he's not getting like when you're talking about him being an elite playoff scorer and a a, a real offense unto himself, I don't think anyone's looking at him and seeing, Oh, he's beating enough people off the dribble that I can count on that going forward. I think there's a healthy dose of skepticism, even with the success that he's had here over the last couple of games Look, some days he's going to look great because he's James Harden and he can hit those step back threes and he can make tough shots and he can draw fouls and he is a great passer. And then other days, those shots aren't going to go in. He's not going to get by his guy off the dribble and he's going to play some of the worst defense you'll ever see on the perimeter. And it's going to be a wild swings, I think, all year. And I don't necessarily think there are a lot of people who think he's, um, you know, he's back. I don't, I, I would push against that uh, premise. I think
2: there were some articles this week. Again, it's those it's those Kings games, man. You know everybody's yeah. got to We got no, There relax.
1: was a five thirty eight article. That's true. That's true. That's fair. That's fair.
2: Uh, yeah. No, I I think uh, I don't think that train has a lot of people on it. I if if we're being honest now, are there some probably some super optimistic people on Sixers Twitter that are are excited about this? Yeah, probably. But you know they're fans. You know, I, we, yeah. You, you don't have to be I rational.
1: Harden's numbers right now are good. 22 and a the half points. The offense is good. 10.6 assists. Scoring pretty efficiently, shooting 37% from three. Uh, I th- think if you ter- start talking about athletically though, I think there's a lot of skepticism. and I think there's a lot of skepticism whether it'll work in the playoffs. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just hanging out, out on different parts of Sixers-Mastodon. but We'll see. Is that even a thing? There's, there's no Sixers-Mastodon There's like, four, yet. There's like yeah. four
2: people on Sixers-Mastodon, which you are one of them. It's like an yeah. audience. Um, so the, the one thing, and you could see it in the Golden State game as well, like at the end, they started switching the pick and roll. And this is just, look, if I'm going to spend the whole podcast praising Kevin Looney, I'm going to. I, I don't care. That's what this is about. Uh, he could not get by Kevon Looney. No. Like, just fundamentally could not do it. Kevin, And again, not a shot blocker, Kevin Looney. Decent switch guy, whatever, like smart, should not be woofing James Harden's shot off the backboard.
1: Just it, it, inhaling it. It feels a lot like the early success that they had last year, where you saw and you, this is great. Like I really like the Embiid Harden potential and the dynamic and the pick and roll. I like having a really good passer and the shots great when it goes in. But holy shit, why aren't they just switching and and and, and standing him up? And the next thing you know, like you know, Ike Stewart is sitting there completely uh, mm-hmm. slowing James Harden down. You, like, I don't know if this is going to work in the playoffs. I get I get a little bit of the same feeling too. And again. Harden is smart enough where he's going to have a couple of games here where he just goes nuts in the playoffs. And he did last year uh, against the Raptors. But do I have confidence it's going to be a night in night out domination? No, I'm not sure he's that player anymore. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's, he's not that player anymore.
2: Mm. Detroit coming on the schedule too. Yeah. Ike is laying in wait for Harden. I know they're pretty bad, but yeah, Ike's and they don't really uh, have a
1: whole lot else going for him. So they're going to feature Ike Stewart.
2: So on this road trip, or on this, sorry, not this road trip. It's a homestand. <laughs> what are you talking about, Rich? During this homestand where the Sixers are winning all these games.
1: I mean, uh, we've only been there four times in the last like eight days. Like what do you, you know, how have you not noticed?
2: I don't know. I'm not sharp today, man. I'm sorry. Sixers have had a really good offense. They've almost 100, 120 per 100, obviously small sample size, but I think for me, that is why I feel good. And that's, you know, honestly, that's some of the ways that I judge Harden. It's like, I almost don't care about his points i I almost don't care if he goes three for eleven like if there is seventeen assists and the offense is cooking, then it's like you did your job you know it's it's like that Toronto series during the good games last year I'm like you know did his job with the uh with the offense but i I agree like in terms of i you know one of our biggest questions coming in the year is like can he beat people off the dribble? how does he look physically and the answer to me is not different at all, and that's yeah. just it's where we are look i I don't we always get questions of like, oh, what's it going to look like in, in April? I don't know if the world is going to exist in April. So who knows, you know? But r- right now, it certainly does not look like he is beating dudes off the dribble yeah. all that much.
1: And usually that's not something that gets significant. And I, maybe it does just because he's, he had the injury. But usually that is not something that trends upward as he season progresses.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com
0: slash courtside to learn more.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover...
0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Uh, This one from Flanatico. What's your biggest target in the trade market? And specifically, are you looking for another backup center or another 3ND wing?
2: I mean, I always say wing for this. As much as we complain about backup center. And as much as they're playing Montrez right now, Montrez has been statistically better than Paul Reed, but we know that Paul Reed has the more playoff ready game, even though he's been bad. Um yep. it's kind of a crappy situation all around. I don't really know what um what they're gonna be doing uh with that. But regardless, like just play the marathon man at backup center if that doesn't work. So yeah, yeah wing.
1: Especially if you have more wings and more three and D capable wings, you can have a little more Uh, flexibility in doing that no i agree it three N D wings just have more value in the playoffs they're more necessary uh they give you more flexibility if you can find a legitimate one or two out there uh then yeah go for it the problem is you know you had some some questions about crowder and all that they don't really have draft picks or anything like that to trade and i think right now if you know you're probably holding out for a draft pick um so could that change as you get closer to the trade deadline we'll see you know, it is something where I think there's a lot of trade interest now because December 15th has come and gone. And that means I think something like 88% Bobby Mark said on ESPN, 88% of the league is now trade eligible. There was a significant portion of players who signed contracts in the summer who became trade eligible this week. I think that has picked up some interest in talking about trades, but it doesn't really happen at this time of year. Like I went back over the last 10 years. And I think something like 1.4 trades per year happened in in December. It's just not a, just because players are trade eligible does not mean that teams are motivated to make deals. So I think we still have probably four to six weeks until you actually start getting some real viable trade rumors. We'll see how the NBA landscape shakes out then. And whether a, I would say most three and D capable wings, you could realistically slot into a playoff rotation. They're going to cost you, and they're probably going to cost you a first-round pick, which makes it a little bit tough for the Sixers to try to act on that. Because I don't know if you've noticed, they don't really have all that many picks to trade. So we will, we will see. Yeah, no, I agreed. Have you ever what, heard what is, what is their best second-round pick right now? I think they have like a Charlotte one, right? Like it's one yeah, of those it's best the most favorable right? of like Charlotte, Atlanta. I think it's probably going to be Charlotte. Um, I, th- I think it's
2: pretty much guaranteed.
1: It's a decent second
2: round pick, but you know, we've we've been in the trade market where you know, three. How many how many picks did they trade for George Hill? Two. Three, four. Oh, was it was no, it was more than one and two? two? I don't remember. It was second round that. picks. Yeah, it was a yeah, shit ton of them. Locked that one. I mean, out. like they're probably pretty bad. But. I mean,
1: they traded two for Ish Smith, way back when. Yeah. Wow. That's a
2: that's a blast from the past.
1: Wasn't one of Have them you pretty ever, good too? Wasn't one of them like the 30, no, the 31st pick was for Trevor Booker. Who did well, that become? I think it became someone pretty good. Look it, was good. A, it was a, it was a Knicks pick. It was a 31st pick. Uh, hold on, hold on.
2: Jerry Colangelo had to lay the law down. Yeah, he Is did. Smith was the law.
1: Uh, traded by the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, Nick Claxton. Oof. Oof. Speaking of, of centers. Oof. All right, that one hurts a little bit. That one hurts a little bit. Have you uh, have you ever heard of Quizlet before, by the way? I heard of it last night.
2: Okay. That's I find that very funny that Joe Missoula had his scouting reports on a public service of some sort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of like him kind of like him even more because of that honestly. <laughs> <way. laughs>
1: you wonder how much that shit's going on that just doesn't get picked up. There's there's got to be playbooks all over the internet at some point. there
2: I don't know. I'm looking at Reddit right now. These these notes are very nice. Like, there's no like Ben Simmons. Just like it'd be funny if like the note was like, "Just make him fucking shoot. He can't shoot." <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> yep.
2: No, no, no. He's he's got the. He's always a threat in transition. Those type of things, you know. <laughs> Likes to run pistol.
1: Yep. No, they used to have uh, scattering reports uh, printed out in the Sixers locker room, and they were never never nearly as detailed or as interesting as you would expect. Remember, they used to have plays written up on the whiteboard, too, and then they used to start bringing the projector down so we couldn't see it. I think somebody took a picture and tweeted it out, and it's like, "Eh, that's a no-no, and they don't do that anymore. Uh, All right. Where are we going from here? This one was from AI. This one was from ChatGPT. Had to include an AI-generated mailbag question. In your opinion, what are the key areas the Sixers need to improve upon in order to reach their full potential and make a championship run? Pretty reasonable question from Chat, an AI program. Look at you. I think you got this one. Do I? I don't know. I mean, pretty much go back to that Harden conversation that we had. They need Harden to be a legitimate threat in the half court in the playoffs, um, which has been something we said last year when they acquired him, something we said over the summer when uh, we were talking about the season, uh, something that we said when they were acquiring all of those role players. Like, yeah, this is great. They're in a position where they can better maximize Their upside, if uh, you know, because they have these role players, but they actually need Harden to look like a legitimate threat to have that upside. Um, That's always what it's been. So, chat AI, you should be, uh, you know, you should be listening to more past podcasts because we've been talking about this for a long time. Shame on you for not being a real thing. Yep. Yep. That is, I think, just about all that I have. Any other stray thoughts? That you have there? No. Uh, look, Chat
2: AI. Uh, the Sixers have an eight percent chance of winning the championship, according to Five Thirty Eight, which hmm. l- has loved the Sixers, regardless yeah. of who's been on the team for all years. the
1: way back to the the Jimmy Tobias team. They loved. I'm pretty sure they loved, irrationally so. The Richardson oh, the Horford, Horford year. Yeah. Oh my
2: god, Five Thirty Eight. What are you
1: doing? Again, we'll see. We'll see.
2: We will see. So, what do we got this week?
1: We got the Raptors on Monday, the Pistons and Ike Stewart on Wednesday, and oh, then no. the Clippers Hell. on Friday.
2: <laughs> Two and one at best. <laughs> Ike's coming.
1: Uh, look, they—I mean, look—they're in the middle of a seven-game homestand. They have wins in the first four. Only one of them was really what you would call an impressive win, but they have picked up, found ways to win all four of these, including one in overtime. Against the Lakers, which was a disaster, but they won it. Again, four wins, good start. Raptors are not playing their best ball. Uh, they are, are struggling and frustrated. Pistons are very winnable. And then you've got the Clippers to close it out. They yeah. really no, should I, have a six and one homestand at six, the worst.
2: Six and one minimum. And, you know, depending on who the Clippers play, you know, yeah. that could be a game where it's like, okay, we're just going to take the night off. You yep. really could go seven and oh and then play the freaking Knicks and Wizards on the road. Like, you should be able to bank a bunch of wins. And I guess to finish this off, because we have been a little understated looking, not to say that the game stakes were that high last night, it does feel like the vibes are getting a little better around yeah. the team. It yeah. does feel like everybody's in. Joel is in a very joking, positive mood. He's in a good
1: mood. He's a good it was. He's in good
2: mood. It was a very weird locker room where they just had a. There was just a bunch of people moving, moving in and out of that place, and yep. I don't know. I guess it was a weird locker room just because the game wasn't that good. But then I realized a bunch of people probably bought tickets thinking they were going to see Steph Curry play against the Sixers, which understandable, you know, you don't want to give yep. up those seats. They're probably pretty expensive. Uh, it's one of those things. So yeah, I, I do think the, e- even if they are not beating a bunch of world beaters right now, and that's probably putting it politely, the the vibes are, are pretty good. I would say whether it's, you know, Embiid and, and neang and PJ just playing one-on-one for five hours after practice the other day. Also, by the way, they play one on one just so they can argue calls with each other. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> like they don't really care who wins. They're not even trying that hard. They just want to freak out against each other for calling a bad foul or a walk or whatever. And you know, all three of them too. Like George, George can talk shit with with both of them, and it's he's pretty good. George had a great one. One more thing that because this made me laugh from last night's game. George, after he got fouled on a three, I've never seen this before. I think like somebody, it was right in front of the Warriors bench and somebody chirped and George screamed at them, Challenge it. I dare you. Challenge it. And they didn't challenge it because he got fouled.
1: <laughs> he is a character. He is definitely he is. a character. I appreciate I enjoy, having I him you. on the team. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Thank all right. You, That's Rich, all I got for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.